Unlocking what was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Anyways, Mike, there's no rule in the rule book that says you can't play drunk. Is there, is there a, a rule, rule that, that you can't, can't podcast, podcast drunk, drunk as well? well? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, we're, we're good. We're clean. clean. Oh, we're, we're live, live Neil. We're live. Oh, oh, well, okay. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, we got a great episode today. I love the movie that we're going to be talking about. Obviously, the listeners out there know since they uh, clicked on the thumbnail for today's uh, excellent Will Ferrell movie, but we're not talking about that yet. I got to ask you something, Mike. Something happened to me uh, last week or two weeks ago now, I guess. Mm. I was at my family's house, and my brother is uh, an interesting guy. You know him very well, obviously. My older brother, Sean, a uh, great friend of ours when we were kids, you know, played video games. We played basketball on the, uh, on the driveway. Uh, as we got older, though, he got very out of touch with pop culture, mm -hmm. like to the point where he doesn't know much about video games, music, movies. Uh, I mean, it's not even to the point where like he doesn't watch things. It's to the point where he doesn't know what's out. Um, so I guess this is going to date this episode a little <laughs> bit. Um, but the Barbie movie, one of the biggest films of the year, one of the biggest films of all time now, released on July 21st, 2023. Um, I saw my brother on August 19th, 2023. So about a month after Barbie came out. And we were talking about movies that we had been seeing recently as a family. Like we were talking about like the Oppenheimer's out right now and Barbie's out and whatnot. And I mentioned, oh yeah, you know, me and my fiance, we went to go see, uh, the Barbie movie. And, uh, and Sean went, what's the Barbie movie? And <laughs> no. I said, I'm not kidding. And I'm like, the the live action Barbie movie starring Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling? He's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I've never heard of this movie. I said, Sean, this movie's been out for a month. It's made over a billion dollars. I said, you haven't, I said, you don't know what it's about or you've never even heard of it. He said, I've never heard of it. I was like, that is impressive <laughs> to the level of anything I cannot even describe right now. It's everywhere. It's, it's on memes. It's on bus shelters. It's, it's in the news. He has managed to avoid this thing for a month. And it got me thinking, Mike, this is my question for mm. you. Do you remember the last big release of anything like a video game or a movie, a show that was out and you had no idea it existed until a month later? Cause I can't. I, I mean, I, I definitely can't. I mean, we're also pretty in tune with pop culture and, uh, I know. and, and stuff. I can't like imagine that, living like that though. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's it's pretty impressive i gotta say like because that means that you're not really going on any social media for one uh oh, he doesn't <laughs> you're not really going on the internet like other than very specific areas of the internet like it's it's a it's a difficult thing in 2023 to have complete blinders up for uh for just news like for big news like something like that so uh it's sure. uh it's pretty impressive. I think that's the the take I'm gonna I'm gonna take away from this is the the how impressive it is to just not hear about something. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's been pretty much since 2011, <laughs> which is when I got like really back into video games yeah. after high school. Um, since then, I've been aware of pretty much every big video game to come out before it's out. And and since I started working part time in the grocery store with all of my friends, we always were talking about movies. So I knew every movie that was coming out too. I honestly cannot remember the last time something blindsided me and had been out for a month. So it's just really interesting to know that there's people out there and in my family who live like that. And 
I mean, maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, blissful to live like that. But honestly, I was amazed that he managed to avoid this billion-dollar Warner Bros. picture uh, for this long. And I don't think he's—I don't think I sold him on it. It's just now that he's now he's aware of it is the is the main thing. Mattel is coming to your house. They there there are agents that have already been sent uh, to your parents' house to uh, to make sure that they they find and capture your brother and drag yep. him to a theater uh, very soon. Yep. So uh, uh, I'm sure they'll be there any minute. Just wait for a knock on the door. Next time I go over, he'll be singing uh, the Ken song. What's it called? Uh, I'm, I'm just, just Ken. 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 Anywhere <laughs> else I'd be, be a 10. ten. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Uh, well, Neil, uh, speaking of um, – well, honestly, this doesn't segue at all. But <laughs> Actually, it kind of does. It kind of does. Uh, Perfect. Uh, it, it does segue because uh, you talked about being unaware of pop culture. And um, mm-hmm. I just went to the Ben Schwartz and Friends show here in Toronto. Uh, a great, great time, uh, Ben Schwartz and uh, some fellow comedians, fellow improv uh, people uh, got together and did a little little long-form improv show that was absolutely fantastic. They just took a story from the audience and ran with it, and uh, and nice. it was really, really funny. But they had a, a lot of fun like introductions at first, and honestly, we're just talking amongst themselves for like the first half hour. It really felt like the <laughs> intro to a podcast. I know, uh, I was going to say, it sounds like what we do. Right? <laughs> but just with Ben Schwartz instead, and it was, it was you know, he was just rattling off lines, and, and as you know, he's a great improv, uh, improvisationalist, yeah. uh, being on Parks and Rec, basically all his lines are improv. Uh, you can <laughs> see that based on the way Aziz Ansari will uh, react to some of the things yeah. uh, that he says as John Ralphio. But um, uh, one thing that was really funny was one of the members of his little crew there, uh, Pokemon got brought up for some reason. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 because of the story, some, I was like, oh, I was playing my Game Boy. It's like, oh, what game were you playing? Oh, Pokemon Yellow. And everyone's like, yeah, he's like, nice, nice. And Ben Schwartz, of course, is a big nerd, loves video games, was a ambassador, spotlight, a brand something for Nintendo for the Switch when it first came out. I don't know if you remember that, Neil, but uh, he was uh, no, kind of showcasing the Switch. Uh, just be, I think they just sent him a Switch and he was like, yeah, oh my God, I'm playing a Switch. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, And then uh, it's funny that he's the voice of Sonic. Uh, so uh, yeah. probably not allowed to do Nintendo stuff anymore but uh uh he um <laughs> uh one of the guys this this guy was like oh pokemon like i didn't know there was like colors uh for this like what and he's like get the f- off the stage get the <laughs> that's George, like my was it my was that my brother was who was <laughs> but George just just like yelled at him just like, get, get right now go what are you doing <laughs> and that's so, amazing oh, and so he was like ridiculing him for the rest of the night the about the fact that he didn't know anything about pokemon <laughs> i mean like like how this is the same thing it's like how were you unaware as like a uh, a, basically a late millennial um, uh, of this right. guy's age, right, of of not knowing anything about Pokemon. Uh, that's, that is impressive. Yeah, I can see like a, a boomer or a, a Gen Xer not knowing perhaps that Pokemon come in colors, but even Xers I would think no because they were basically the parents who bought all these games. Mm-hmm. Um, so even they would know. that That's hilarious. I love that he just brought that up throughout the entire day. I didn't, <laughs> you see, I didn't know Ben Schwartz as well when the Switch came out because I hadn't seen um, Parks and Rec yet. I only just recently watched that series about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's fantastic as John Ralphio. I love him so much. I'm technically homeless. Like, he's, 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 I, everything he says is, is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but I did watch the Middle Ditch and Shorts um, specials oh, nice. on. I think it, 
I think it's Netflix. There's only like what five or six of them. They're not that many. No, uh, but they're hilarious. They're each like an hour. They're so good. They <laughs> they go like they come full circle towards the end. If you haven't seen them, they might not be on Netflix anymore. But uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz is a really funny thing to uh, to check out. So I guess that's basically what this is now. Except yep. there's more people on stage. Yeah, that's literally what it was. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, and about an hour okay, and a cool. half. Uh, it was perfect. It was just like a perfect amount of time for it too. Nice. How does that work? I was thinking about this with the um, the current strike. I guess stand-up comedy is okay, right? Because he's been on the picket lines, Ben Schwartz. He has, and he actually was joking about that for a couple times, too. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he's like, this This is not a union gig or anything, you know. I it's, figured. It's part yeah. of Just for Laughs, uh, which mm. is the comedy festival here in Toronto that uh, there were tons, tons of big comedians that are up the, uh, this week. Uh, and Ben Schwartz being one of them, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it's really just the writing side of it, and the acting side is it's you're not acting right. in it, right? It's um, a whole right. other thing. It's stand it's stand up comedy, which I yeah. figured stand up comedy is still going on during the strike, and so is um, so is live theater. So th- those two things seem to be okay. It's just the TV shows and movies, yep. for the most part, have been halted, and I guess award shows too. Can't wait to see the Oscars uh, next year. That's going to be an interesting show <laughs> if the uh, if the strike is over by then. God. We'll see. We'll see. And last thing I had, Neil, before we go into our mailbag, I, I just want to say it softly. Uh, Ooh, that was interesting. Uh, we should do that. One. It's, just gonna, it's time for the. It's time for the mailbag. We should try that. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, I had someone ask me the other day, uh, just, uh, you know, making conversation about what's something that everyone likes? Because I think uh, uh, me and that same person had the conversation of like, what's something that you hate and hate being something that you don't want to exist anymore. Uh, and I think okay. I think they said bananas or something, which I was appalled by because bananas, what? exactly. Bananas are, are God's gift to the earth. They're just beautiful. They're great. I love yeah. bananas. But uh, something I said that is something that is impossible to hate is Will Ferrell. I feel like Will Ferrell is the perfect like exa- example of just something that no one on earth can be like, you know who I hate? Will Ferrell. Uh, and I think that's why Mattel used him as the CEO <laughs> of Mattel. Now, do you mean as a person or in terms of his comedy? Uh, in terms of his comedy, but also, I mean, honestly, as a person too. He's just a good person. He's a good guy. Uh, he's done so much good charity work as well and is always mm-hmm. like, always on, always ready to, to get a laugh from people. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard nothing but great stories about people who've actually interacted with him in real life. Uh, obviously, uh, he's not just trying to make jokes the entire time, but uh, he's just a stand-up guy who's just uh, a really good person to be around. And of course, his movies are fantastic, so. That's an interesting take because I, when it comes to, that's really hard. Like, what's something that everyone should? So the question is, what's every, what's something that everybody should like? Is no, it's there, it's something it's that's more impossible that, to hate. Yeah, impossible or, to hate. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 hate. more the the direction. Yeah. You see, as a comedian, like as a, I'm not a comedian, but like when you're talking about comedians, I, I I always like can understand when someone says, "Oh, I don't like that person's comedy," because I I all of these comedians that I grew up loving, like Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, Rowan Atkinson, Will Ferrell, everybody. There's been somebody in my family or friends who just can't stand their movies. Yeah. So I've always kind of had that understanding that, and Jerry Seinfeld too, of course. There's always like a comedian that that people just it just doesn't jive with them, and there are comedians that I don't like necessarily like either. But as a person, for the most part, they're all very nice people and for Will Ferrell yeah he he's a really stand up guy he's very generous he's very good with fans 
Uh, I love his comedy. Obviously, we're talking about a Will Ferrell movie today. Um, but like even his work with music too. Like he's a he's a really good musician and uh, yeah. singer, which a lot of people don't know about him. Honestly, um, he even has like a great uh, so many great SNL skits with music too. And his uh, impression of Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers is hilarious. Um, so yeah, like when it comes to comedians, I'm, whenever somebody says, "Oh, I don't really like this person's movies," I can always be like, "Yeah, I can kind of understand that. It's it's a it's a very subjective thing. Comedy. It's a bit like." Uh, a bit like music, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example that I can think of. Honestly, I can't. Because even like something that I love a lot, like Nintendo or Star Wars or, you know, Scooby-Doo or Pop Punk or any of these things, like, or Ska. I'm like, I get it. it you know, I can understand <laughs> not liking it, honestly. Yep, yep. But yeah, that's, that was the closest yeah. thing I could hmm. think of was just Will Ferrell. Just He's the existing. greatest man alive. He's the greatest yeah. man alive. Exactly, exactly. He, he's done more for the state of Flint, Michigan than anybody ever alive, as we uh, as we will talk about in the film. But before we get into today's topic, Mike, we have to uh, go back to our favorite segment. That's right, Neil. It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be featured in our mailbag segment, you can do so by writing us a review on any of the podcast platforms that you listen to us on, or you can send us a message. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Discord, just like Mike, who's our first write-in of the day. We got Trent here writing in saying, hey, Mike and Neil, what a great way to lead into the release of Pikmin 4. This is, of course, talking about the Pikmin uh, episode that we put out a couple weeks ago. I especially loved this episode. Reminds me of how I found this podcast, looking for stuff about Pikmin 2. Uh, keep it up guys fantastic it's such a good time to be a pikmin fan we talked a bit about this uh, on last week's episode since i am currently playing pikmin 4 uh it's really the golden age right now for pikmin fans uh nintendo are doing this franchise right finally we've waited 22 long years for it uh they released (laughs) pikmin 3 on switch pikmin 1 and 2 got shadow dropped a few weeks ago and now pikmin 4 is taking the nintendo world by storm so yeah honestly mike it's really funny i forgot we covered uh pikmin on the podcast already it was only like five or six weeks ago but i forgot we covered it it was when pikmin 4 came out that's right we did it and as soon as we finish recording i forget everything i say but the next write-in comes from zazie and mateo great movie great plot and great episode if there ever is a second one, it should be called Scary Saturday, which is, of course, a reference to our Freaky Friday episode, which I do remember talking about that. I cannot forget talking about uh, the uh, icon, Jamie Lee Curtis. Of course, please. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll have our Jamie Lee Curtis podcast coming out soon enough. Mm. We're just working on the details for that and the legalities our, of it. Of our course, people need to talk uh, to her people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because we kind of need to have her on at some point. Mm-hmm. So we got to make sure that's locked in before we start it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Scary Saturday. Uh, and they, they've talked a lot. Uh, we talked about it on the podcast, but we talked a lot about how um, there is a sequel in the, not works necessarily, but in the, it's, it's the in the talks air. and the rumors. It's in the air. It's in the yeah. air. It's in the air. Mm-hmm. So maybe it'll be called Scary Saturday. Who maybe. knows? But uh, Oi, or OI, which I'm not sure how you got that name. Uh, I like it. But on Spotify. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, uh, says, great episode. And made me want to buy the game on Steam. I really wonder, though, after this episode, if the hosts of the show are aware that of the other Star Wars RTS game, Empire at War, that is cool, too. So, of course, this is uh, in reference to Galactic Battlegrounds episode. Yeah, that's an episode that Mike unfortunately missed. He was in Japan, but I had Josh from the Still Loading Podcast come on. Josh is a big fan of Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds, like me. Uh, I am aware of uh, the Star Wars uh, RTS Empire at War. I've seen little snippets of it, but honestly, like... I feel like I have this amazing game already. I don't need any more Star Wars RTS. Like, I, I have this. I'm good. Um, I might yeah. check it out, though. Thank you so much for the recommendation. I'll see if it's on Steam and if it's if it's very good. But uh, honestly, like, 
you can lose me uh, to two hours of playing uh, Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds in a day, so I don't think I need another one. But uh, thank you so much, Oi. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll check that one out for sure. Next write-in comes from Bryce Hangman. Another great name there. This show is awesome. I love the SpongeBob movie, SpongeBob Games, and I love the GameCube. I'm glad they still make episodes about other things after finishing the GameCube blog. Keep up the great work. Thank you, thank you, Bryce. Uh, I, uh, I, I, it has been nice, or it has been nice to go back and uh, and talk about GameCube stuff every once in a while. But of course, it's very nice to just talk about things that don't have anything to do with the GameCube sometimes, and nothing to do with Nintendo. Kind of take us off track. Just uh, uh, remind us of our childhood. Mm-hmm. SpongeBob is always a good one uh, to do that for sure. Yeah, the SpongeBob movie was one that I'd been wanting to talk about for a long time. Uh, we love this project that we're doing right now. Obviously, the GameCube was a ton of fun, but there were definitely some weeks there where we were like, "Let's talk." Can we talk about a, an album or another game, yeah. <laughs> another console or something? So, yeah. yeah, really glad that people are taking to the uh, the new format. So, thank you so much for writing in. And we next have Lance Whitmer here saying, great episode, as always. Uh, this is for the Blink-182 Enema of the State uh, episode. When mm. will you guys do a Dookie episode so i can graduate you to the billy joe armstrong was cool podcast instead of the tom delong was cool podcast love you guys and stay cool dookie was cool that'd be great yeah we're, we're definitely going to cover green day at some point we have to uh that's one of those yeah. bands that mike and i bonded over as kids i think everybody did uh in the late 90s early 2000s dookie is a seminal record for us everything from uh, honestly their first couple albums but dookie all the way to american idiot we we ate up like crazy in uh elementary school and junior high so uh, and we've seen green day a whole bunch of times live too um haven't been a huge fan of green day for the last couple of years which i think is most uh p- people's takes towards green day but uh we yeah should probably just stop Pro- probably i think they kind of have though it feels like yeah it's weird like they're still together but they're also not i don't know it's they're a very weird band in the last uh five or six years yeah, yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we get. Maybe we'll get 22nd Century Breakdown. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'd rather not, but uh, last mailbag entry of the day here comes from Andrew Wilson. Great episode. Been hoping you'd guys talk about Japanese exclusives. Would love to hear one European slash PAL GameCube only games, which we will definitely cover someday. We've done only five Japan exclusive games. There's lots more to cover, and of course, lots of uh, PAL and uh, UK exclusive games that we will definitely get to someday. Oh yeah, for sure. It's definitely there's there's two other three episodes that I always wanted to do for, uh, post GameCube uh, was cool podcast. One was the Japanese exclusives, which we got to do, and I'm really glad we we held off on it until I went to Japan and mm-hmm. uh, and got a uh, Japanese GameCube so I can you know have a little stock in that conversation, a little bit more stock for sure. Right. Um, the PAL games that I really want to do some you know maybe another five or so games exclusives and uh, and canceled. Games is yeah. one thing I'd like to do one day, Neil, because uh, there are some really interesting and big cancel games for the GameCube that we never actually got. Yeah, definitely. The UK one would definitely be one I want to do. Um, I'm planning on going back to uh, to Europe in the next couple of years. So maybe after, maybe I'm sure you'll go again within the next couple of years too. So maybe we'll both try mm-hmm. and grab a, a PAL console and a couple of games and then Ooh. we can uh, we can have a great conversation about that. But uh, that's the last uh, letter from our mailbag, Mike. So uh, with that, I guess it's about time that we jump into today's episode. What do you think? Let's get sweaty, Neil. Let's get real sweaty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 28 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we loved from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet who will forever celebrate July 21st as Barbenheimer Day. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit a topic and vote for our monthly Patreon elected episode. All patrons also get the show ad-free and a little early. Last week, we talked about the 
leap from the Game Boy Advance to the DS. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about a movie that Mike and I saw in March break together in 2008, all the way back in grade 9, when we were just wee lads on a whim, just trying to kill an afternoon with a classic Will Ferrell movie. Uh, this film we knew very little about, honestly. We basically just kind of ended up going in. We liked Will Ferrell. We loved Anchorman and Talladega Nights and basically ended up peeing our pants right from the very first 10 seconds of the film all the way to the very end. Uh, it's arguably in the top best basketball films of all time, which uh, maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. I am, of course, cl- talking about the classic Will Ferrell movie, Semi-Pro, which was released on February 29th, 2008, directed by Kent Alterman. Produced by Jimmy Miller, clocks in at a nice 92 minutes long uh, box office, $43.9 million on a $55 million budget, which is unfortunate. (laughs) Uh, It's got a 2.8 on Letterboxd, an audience score of 38 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, this movie did not get uh, received well, Mike. And it's a a sports satirical comedy starring Will Ferrell, Woody Harrelson, Andre Benjamin, also known as Andre 3000, yep, from Outcast, uh, Maury Tierney, Will Arnett. Andy Daly, uh, David Kochner, and Rocky the Bear. So, Mike, I guess before we talk about the plot of this film and uh, all of our favorite scenes and quotes, um, let, let's uh, start all the way back in 2008. What are your memories of seeing Semi Pro for the first time with me? Uh, this is this is my number one memory, Neil. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. And we're alone in the theater too when this comes on. <laughs> Come on, girl. Yeah. It's me. Jackie Moon. Greatest intro of a movie ever. <laughs> it's so good. And and there's actually a deleted scene that has a different intro, which is uh, Dick Pepperfield, one of the commentators, uh, explaining why you should visit Flint, That's Michigan. Right. <laughs> uh, which is also pretty good. But this is way better showing the montage of all Jackie Moon's awards, how he bought the team. But uh, <laughs> my first memories, of, of course, are basically what you said. Um, seeing this with you, March break, uh, going down, down to the theater, Buying a ticket, going to the theater, having a, a a a very small crowd in there. There was not many people. I think we saw it on an afternoon or something. Yeah. Uh. And uh. And yeah. I I I just remember laughing so hard and <laughs> loving it so much. It was very much made for a fifteen year old boy. Oh my god! It mm-hmm. was it was so perfect. Um. I I I understand. Like why, you know, why people would rate it low today or whatever. But like for me, it'll never like it's always going to be a perfect movie. I love it so much. And this is one of those things I could say that I I, uh, am definitely subverting pop culture, like uh, what people think of of something uh, Mm -hmm. for for semi-pro. I'd say that for the most part, we we go in line with the critics uh, relatively. Uh, uh, Obviously, Creed, the critics love. We think Creed's amazing. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, But uh, there are some things that we like, honestly, just love from being kids and and our childhood and and the associations that we have with it. I think of something like Limp Bizkit as well uh, and the associations we have with Limp Bizkit and then semi-pro is one of them too where Critically, uh, people don't really like it, but for us, we love it, and damn it, we're going to talk about it on a podcast <laughs> because uh, it's so quotable. It, honestly, like I, I was trying to look at it from a, a, a critical lens, and there was parts of the movie that I'm like, okay, I, I see like these prop parts probably wouldn't be reviewed well, but like there were parts and there was acting that was actually really good. Like This movie is... For, so I might as well say the plot a little bit here. Sure. Um, the movie uh, is uh, basically starts off with Jackie Moon, who is Will Ferrell. Um, Jackie Moon buys the Flint 
Tropics, who are part of the ABA, which is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, there was the American Basketball Association that was competing with the NBA in the 70s, and they did eventually merge, and they take this real-life storyline, and uh, they did create this team, the Flint Tropics, although all the other teams were real, like the Spurs and the Nets and the Nuggets and the Pacers, uh, even the yeah. St. Louis Spirit, uh, the Pacers, mm-hmm. uh, even the ones yeah that, that didn't make it to the NBA, like the, the Kentucky Colonels. They were all real. They just added Flint as a, um, as a <laughs> fake team uh, with some beautiful, beautiful jerseys. And uh, they eventually realize that they, uh, although Flint is failing in terms of attendance and their their record, uh, they do realize that the NBA and the ABA will be merging. And uh, Will Ferrell is very excited about this until he realizes that they will only be taking four teams from the 12-team ABA. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Jackie Moon is very upset at this and uh, goes into a rage. <laughs> and uh, the commissioner, David uh, David Costner, who you might know better as Packard from uh, from The Office mm-hmm. and uh, and many other uh, great uh, sitcoms yeah. and movies, Anchorman, exactly, uh, he calms Jackie down and uh, they eventually all talk about it and uh, they agree to have the top four teams in the league that will move on to the NBA, uh, which is something that did not happen uh, historically. But, you know, they're changing history a little bit here and making it interesting. And um, and they have to have at least 2,000 fans in the seats at all times. So Jackie Moon trades for the classic uh, starting guard Ed Monix, uh, played by Woody Harrelson, uh, who is a, you know, a, an old-time vet who played for the Celtics on the bench and won a championship. Uh, Coffee Black, a.k.a. Sugar Dunkerton, a.k.a. Downtown uh, Funky Stuff Malone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Clarence, uh, played by Andre Benjamin of Outcast, uh, uh, is uh, they have a you know a tumultuous relationship there. He uh, thinks that Monix just rode the bench the whole time. Monix is like, you know what? Uh, screw this. Wants to leave the team. They realize that they can't play without him. They get him to coach. Jackie's obviously a little upset at this, but he uh, retains his position as promoter and leader uh, of the team. And the tropics start to get better. They start to get better. They start to win. Things are looking good and. Uh, and then, um, unfortunately, it turns out that they are just going to take the four teams that they said at the beginning with the Spurs, Nuggets, uh, uh, Pacers, and Nets. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, everyone's sad. Uh, but uh, Will Ferrell pulls off one last big game, the Flint-Michigan Mega Bowl. And uh, we'll save the ending for now. And, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the plot, Neil. Yeah. That's, um, this is a long story. This is a long ramble by me. <laughs> starting I was going to say, my... we usually go through it bit by bit, but you were going to roll there. I was like, I'm just not going to stop him at this point. You're just going to say, that's all right. I, we're going to go, we're going to go bit by bit anyways, but the, <laughs> that's the I, end I of today's episode. <laughs> 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 I'm just going to do a general summary. You and then I was like, going. I know this, mo- <laughs> I know this movie too well that I, uh, that I, I, I can't not. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, but uh, sorry about that, Neil. But, That's okay. Uh, I can what? chime in a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, please, please. What are, what are your uh, first memories and uh, and sub- subsequent memories, I guess, of Semi-Pro? Sure, yeah. So, like I said before, you and I saw this movie on a whim, March break, uh, very light on the crowd in the audience. Uh, it was probably a weekday. I, I don't remember the exact day. Um, but, yeah, we uh, we walked in, you know, and uh, sat down, and the movie starts out with that fantastic song, uh, Jackie Moon's one-hit wonder, Love Me Sexy, which uh, which basically, at the age of, I think they said he was about 22 or something, early 20s when he wrote that song. Uh, we found out later that he stole the song from his dead mother. Um, but uh, mm. anyway, he used all the money, the proceeds from that hit to buy uh, the Flint, Michigan, uh, the, the Tropics. 
and he made himself the owner, head coach, and starting power forward, as well as the pregame announcer, which is a hilarious concept. But after watching the special features for this movie, after uh, after watching the theatrical or the Let's Get Sweaty edition, sorry, mm. uh, I watched the special features, and that was actually a very real thing in the ABA in the '70s. Is that owners and coaches and players they would all be one person for the most like teams would have people yeah. that would do two things which in the nba you you don't have that a, a, at all um but that that's what was so great about the aba back in the day and people remember it and talk about it so fondly is because it was basically the nba but with just a bit more fun and a bit more funk and that that's what the uh that's what the, re- <laughs> the director and the writers were trying to capture with this film they were trying to capture the magic and the style of the the 70s aba league and I think they honestly nailed it. The movie, in my opinion, at least, having not grown up in the '70s, um, the the clothing is is really good. The the cars are all classic cars. The 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 furniture and the the stadium and the jerseys that you mentioned before, all the logos look very retro. The music yeah. in this movie is really good. Uh, they really did capture that mid 1970s uh, kind of disco era funky style. Uh, everyone's got their afros and their mustaches and the boots and the the, the bell bottom jeans and the everything chains. else. The chains, yeah. Everyone is smoking <laughs> and drinking all the time, which is yeah. which is really funny and part of the comedy too. So every like you watch this movie, we've been watching this movie now for 15 years, and every time I watch it, I get a detail that I didn't notice before, which is mm. really rare to see in a in a comedy of all things. Like you just see little details. Like I noticed, uh, I, I remember seeing a pong machine in the uh, there's like a you know the 1972 classic uh, video game pong. I remember seeing mm-hmm. it in the the break room or in the uh, locker room when the players are behind or after a game they're playing pong backstage basically and then you see another one in someone's living room at one point so like little details like that like because everyone had pong in the mid to late 70s um which is really funny but no this movie is very quotable um as quotable i would say as the other will ferrell classics like Step Brothers, anchorman talladega nights being the other big three i would say uh we quoted this movie all the way through high school um ele being a big one everybody love everybody which is like the team's mantra that we used to say to each other as friends uh which is really funny but you you uh, you touched on it there, and I think you nailed it. That, that this film is very much made uh, for kids that were our age, that fourteen to sixteen year old high school, grade nine to grade twelve age. Uh, we saw it at that perfect age, and I'm sure that if we had seen it when we were maybe a little bit older, it probably wouldn't have slapped as well as it did for us. Honestly, um, mm-hmm. it feels like as we aged out of that high school um, time. I don't know if the comedy. I think comedy movies did uh, decline rapidly after the 2013 uh, probably era. Um, after the uh, Jed Apatow movie stopped getting made, it it felt like comedies just weren't the same anymore. And now there are hardly ever any comedies out. Uh, It's mostly just Marvel films, it seems, that are considered the comedies. Like, I think the official comedy that you and I last saw in theaters, that I saw in theaters at all, was Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates in 2016. That was a great movie. I I love that movie. Very funny. Uh, That was 2016? Holy... Yeah, that was was seven years ago, man. Uh, But that was like the last one that I remember seeing is like, this is a comedy and like Bridesmaids is another really good one. Um, But but Semi-Pro came out just around, I think it was just after Talladega Nights and Step Brothers. So John C. Riley and the Will Ferrell combo, which were was was a, an amazing combination of comedians uh, in movies. They were a great pair. They did do another one a little bit later, uh, like a Sherlock Holmes kind of movie, but I think that movie tanked um, in the theater. But anyway, it's bad. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure it is. A lot of Will Ferrell <laughs> movies after this type after after Semi Pro honestly have been fairly hit and miss. You and I are a big fan of the other guys. 
um, yes, which was a very good comedy with Michael Keaton and uh, Mark Wahlberg and and several others. He got into more voice acting roles as well after the 2010 era. He did like that Mega Mind movie, which was weird. He's also in the Lego mm. movie, and now he's in the Barbie movie as well. And I feel like he plays the same character in just about everything he does. Kind of that awkward, nerdy, middle aged man. Uh, it seems kind of aw- very awkward, very bumbling, but also. I don't know, just a very quirky person. Uh, he's kind of been typecasted to that type of a role at this point, which is great. I, sure. it, it's nice to see him in these films, honestly. Uh, I'll always be a big Will Ferrell fan and always give most of his films a fair shake. Um, what's scary to me, Mike, is that I did a very little bit of research here on on Will Ferrell and uh, just a quick overview of him. Born 1976, he started his acting career in 1991. Most people would know him for his starting roles on SNL. Of course, the you know the Cowbell line and Celebrity Jeopardy and the, um, mm-hmm. the Red Hot Chili Peppers spoofs that I talked about earlier as well. Um, obviously a very big uh, prolific comedic actor he's done a couple of dramatic roles here and there none of those movies did particularly well I don't think Uh, to date he has 32 credited leading roles and 14 credited supporting roles the scary thing for me though is since this movie was uh, 2008 Will Ferrell was 32 which means we are about two years away from being the age Will Ferrell is in (laughs) semi-pro Will Ferrell was 32 in semi-pro? I thought he was like 42. Oh, sorry. Oh my God. I- sorry, I guess he'd be 42. No, no, 32, because 76 to 2008, that's uh, 32. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just crazy. Like, he looks so much older. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know what it is. He's always looked like, he's had that old man kind of uh, thing about him. I don't know, maybe it's like the kind of uh, scowl on his face. I don't know how to describe it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's uh, he was 32 in, uh, in semi-pro, oh, which... Wow. We're getting close to that age, which is crazy to think because we were only, what, 15 when we saw it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're getting close to uh, to being Jackie Moon's age, un- unfortunately, where time just keeps on going, Mike. But <laughs> yeah, you hit all the big plot points there for me. Uh, we can we can start off, maybe go a little bit more in depth and uh, maybe course, talk about some of the quotes in each of the scenes, which we need to talk about because Will Ferrell, obviously a fantastic actor in terms of quotes and everything. But for me, this movie, he has a lot of good quotes in here, but the majority of the funny lines are between the announcers, uh, Lou Redwood and Dick Pepperfield. <laughs> Those are the standouts uh, in terms of lines from this film. But uh, we can start off with the opening scene of the film that you mentioned there. There's an yep. opening game where we're introduced to the team and we find out, you know, Jackie Moon is basically singing the national anthem, which is Love Me Sexy. And then he does this whole pregame announcement thing, bringing on each player onto the team. And, and we get introduced to all the characters here for the most part that we're going to know, like you mentioned before, uh, Coffee Black. He's not there yet, actually, but, you know, we got Vakitis and and Twiggy and a whole bunch of other characters here. We also have the announcers, Dick Pepperfield and Lou Redwood, as well as Father Pat, who's like the uh, the town priest who also referees yeah. the ABA basketball know, games. So good. Which is so wildly dumb. Father Pat, timeout. <laughs> timeout white. After 45 seconds into the first half, he's already calling a timeout. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really funny opening scene. Uh, we, we loved it. And, uh, and I just need to give another shout out to the two announcers in this movie who for me are easily in the top five probably top three of the funniest comedic sporting announcer duo in in history for me and will arnett just absolutely oh my god it is yeah. lou redwood yeah just he's it's a great contrast you have dick pepperfield who is the uh kind of um church going uh very uh polite man who's uh but he has a short uh, fuse 
Short few, yeah, yeah. But he's he's the main uh, he's he's the main commentator, of course. Lou Redwood is the color commentator for this uh, for uh, the Flint Tropics, and was a former Flint Tropic as well. Uh, sometimes I uh, dr- still dream of glory, Dick. Sometimes dreams can uh, turn into ni- nightmares, Lou. What's your problem? What's your problem? That was the <laughs> other uh, little detail that I noticed watching this film again. Is uh, Lou Redwood is always smoking and drinking while he's announcing? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's like, could you please put out that cigarette, uh, Lou? Oh no, I like to smoke. When I drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good line and it's so funny you do like every scene he's smoking and he's got a and he's got a glass of scotch with him while he's announcing yeah it's so good because like, yeah, speaking of unprofessional could you uh could you put that cigarette out <laughs> in the stadium while he's while he's doing his job it's so funny and like the little chirps that like jackie moon makes to the other players too and like there's not a lot of actual basketball being played in this film even though the all the actors did go through about two to four weeks of actual basketball training um you can't really tell in this film because they're obviously terrible at playing at first but that's yes. that's the whole idea and it sets them up for obviously much improvement later on in the film exactly and um and, and that whole opening scene is is so funny it's a great establishment of of what's going on at uh, the flint fairgrounds coliseum it's mostly empty right uh, there are a few people in the stands 91 people and, uh, at the game <laughs> yeah with andy richter who uh, makes an appearance there as um as will ferrell's uh, i guess second in command almost of the of the team uh making people to guess the audience and i do love when they're actually introducing all the uh players and i mean that's really where the commentary shines is when yeah. the will introduce the, the the players and um and then you know Jackie Moon has something to say about them. Uh Will Ferrell has done this at multiple NBA games as well by the way mm-hmm. where he uh uh is a Carlos Boozer uh, or sorry uh, number 33 from uh uh from Peoria Illinois Carlos Boozer he still lives with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> Just like still, like for actual um actual NBA players it's so funny that they got him to do that for for a couple lines. He's he's a great announcer for that. But yeah, I love when Dick Pepperfield and Lou Redwood are are, are breaking down all the the stuff that they got to. BB Allen comes on. It's like, oh, BB Allen. He's got his his wife has a tremendous set of boots. Yeah, to me, they're to me, they're too large. No, no, they're, they're perfect. No, she's structurally unsound to me. Yeah, I love that. I just I just love how like this like the the, the semi pro <laughs> yeah. aspect of uh of this world is always so funny to me. I I think of something like dodgeball too. Does yeah. the same kind of thing where it's like these like sports that aren't quite there, um, or <laughs> leagues that aren't aren't quite there, and you have these commentators who are like, well, listen, I'm just I'm getting paid like minimum wage here uh in terms of these commentators they haven't got paid yet right. uh, by jackie uh so they're just doing their thing and it's it's so funny when you have actors who are like really really willing to just have fun with it and uh and uh and they do uh, i mean there's another lou redwood scene a bit later on now we're we're at uh, the second game that we see that's the away game mm-hmm. where we get to see uh jackie moon and company wearing the the teal uh, mm-hmm. uh, uniforms instead of the white, the away uh, jerseys. I love yeah. the, the away jerseys exactly. I love the teal, and uh, and of course uh, Jackie gets uh, 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 gets called for traveling by Father Pat, <laughs> and uh, he he tells uh, he, he tells Father Pat off. I uh, use a lot of uh, uh, very uh, dirty language uh, to him, <laughs> which is always funny because it's Father. <laughs> but uh, uh, he's like, hey, "You're gone, Jackie Moon. You're gone." Ejects him from from the game, kicks the basketball out. <laughs> And uh, they're arguing for a while. It's like uh, it's like I should call your mother. It's like you're gonna need a phone to heaven. Well, maybe your mom didn't go to heaven. 
Oh, Jackie pulls the team off the court, uh, and uh, and it seems uh, as though a line has been crossed by Father Pat <laughs> of all people. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that line. And then uh, Lou Redwood leaving. Uh, God damn like, it, Pat! Yeah. <laughs> Get off your high horse, Redwood. <laughs> yeah, and it's like Thank, thanks for staying. Uh, thanks for staying, Dick. It's like, oh no, I, I just I just went on to commercial. Uh, this is just a formality. I'm leaving. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he leaves too. Yeah, that, that scene was really funny. It's like, wait, we go to church together. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah, he's he's the best. Uh, Dick Pepperfield is really good. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the back and forth between Jackie and Father Pat, they never seem to get along at any of the games, but it also seems like that they know each other very well, which is funny. I know. It's almost like... Which is, but it's a real, like, this is a real relationship, though, yep. right? In sports. Like, mm-hmm. with, with, with umpires, with referees, like, there is this, you... Uh, you play with these people all the time. You're there, like sure. it's it's a job, right? Mm-hmm. So you you see them all the time, but so you do have that animosity slash like friendly relationship uh, with them, which is really interesting, and they actually captured it uh, ironically uh, pretty well there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really good, and it's it, it does remind me of like dodgeball, like you said. But it, it's funny because some of these smaller league movies, they're they're very rare when you get like these not NHL, NBA, MLB movies. When you get the yeah. ABAs and the and the dodgeball, but it also reminds me of like a more serious movie like Slapshot, which is um like yep. a farm. T- but that's a not a. I don't think it's supposed to be a comedy, it, it, or is it? It's a co- it's a comedy a slash a drama. Yeah, but, I mean like there's a lot of comedic elements sure. to it, which makes it interesting. E- right? Exactly, but yeah, the the on the court stuff in this movie are, is really funny. There's not a lot of it. A lot of this movie does take place outside of the games, uh, with like training and with meetings and everything, and um, like driving. You get to see them on the road for eleven hours going to another game. <laughs> Uh, which looks like hell, but one of the other settings in the movie, which I loved, and again, very harkens back to the 70s, is the um, the bar that Jackie Moon, I think, it, it, it's the idea is that he owns it, the Kremlin. Yes, is he the, owns uh, it. Yeah. yeah, he owns it. It's like a disco kind of funk bar. Uh, really funny scene there. It's right after the first game, and he goes, he walks up, you know, the security guard's there, and he's like, are you drunk? And the guy's like, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and of course, he goes in, and, and the rule of this bar is that Jackie Moon's uh, album, Love Me Sexy, needs to be played four times a night. That single, and uh, the yeah. DJ doesn't do that, so uh, he he knocks him off onto Snack Patrol, uh, which you're is on Snack Patrol. you're on Snack Patrol. It puts the I'm the DJ. Um, that scene is really funny, and uh, and then after that you get the uh, the scene with which is another funny one, which is with all of the uh, all of the team owners. Uh, where we find out, um, like you said before, the uh, ABA is being merged into the NBA and only four teams will remain. Uh, that scene is really funny, too, because it starts off as a very cordial meeting. And then by the end, like they're all yelling at each other and arguing. It's like, yeah. first we vote, then we fight. <laughs> then we fight. <laughs> well, that's my favorite at the beginning, actually, with uh, David Costner when he, he's uh, they just kind of jump into that uh, that scene. Uh, Jackie Moon, of course, in the car, kind of revving himself up. Jackie Moon. Yeah. Jackie Moon, America. America. Jackie Moon. <laughs> uh, just get it, getting himself hyped up for the meeting, and uh, we cut to the meeting, and uh, the first line from the commissioners, and we've been getting a lot of complaints about all the fighting. Let's try and keep the fights in the parking lot or in the tunnels. in the tunnel. <laughs> it kind of actually is like what we try and do with this podcast, where we start off the episode with you know a little line there. It's a lot like that, where you have like a, the yeah. ending of another conversation, which is like, what was going on? <laughs> In this conversation, I, I love that scene of all the owners and like half of them are very apathetic towards the merger. They're like, yeah, whatever, we're going to get a huge buyout. But uh, Jackie Moon, Will Ferrell's character, is the only one who's like, no, no, we need to keep.
you know, like for some reason he really wants to keep this, like this family, this team alive. Mm. Like it almost reminds me of like a Michael Scott situation from The Office where- Very much. Yeah, he sees this team and this franchise as his family and his life. And if it were to go away, if anything about it were to change at all, uh, it would be the end for him. And um, they didn't really get into that all that much, except for that one scene where he's just desperately trying to keep- his team together, which is, it's, it's a sweet thing, but like, they don't go into it all that much, really. We, we get it a little bit when he's uh, kind of bit. making the announcement uh, to everyone that uh, they, it will be their last game. And he has that, that meeting with, uh, with the ball girls, with the, um, with mm-hmm. the players and everyone too, the uh, ball girls out there that I would sleep with a couple of you. Unfortunately, that didn't Looks happen. Looks like that's not going to happen. <laughs> Teach me to procrastinate. <laughs> and I like how they're all, they're nodding, like it's solemn yeah, like, too. Like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> Start trying to throw, to throw up. up. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, that kind of brings us though to one of the characters who we haven't talked a lot about mm-hmm. yet is Ed Monix, played by the fantastic Woody Harrelson. And this was probably one of my first introductions to this actor. Uh, Woody Harrelson. I don't think I'd seen much with him in it at this point. I've seen a lot since then, uh, but this is the role that I know him as for the most part is uh, Ed Monix. And he's basically this washed out uh, ex-NBA player who won a championship ring, but the whole thing throughout the entire movie is that he was on the bench for most of the season and he never actually earned it. So the joke was that no one really ever respected him because he, he never technically played. His character was kind of sad, um, but also just played by a, a, one of the best actors in the group, probably. Yes. Um, he's got his wife, who he still still goes to see from time to time, and then like his new or her new husband, who's like really weird, really creepy, likes it when like he likes uh, Monix more than I think he likes his wife. Yes. <laughs> um, which is a really weird subplot, but reminded me a lot of what they do later on in um, in the other guys, where uh, yeah. Uh, whose ex-wife, it's Will Ferrell's ex-wife. Um, the new husband also is very much into watching his wife sleep with the man who she used to be married to. Uh, really weird thing that Will Ferrell likes to do in his uh, his more adult movies, but... You come into my house, you get my wife's <laughs> name right. Christina! <laughs> Different movie entirely, but yeah, Ed Monix's character traded to the Flint, Michigan tropics uh, for, for a washing machine. I love the interview that they do with Dick Pepperfield after. It's like, uh, so, you know, you're making an aggressive move there. What do you think? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I saw Monix was on the board. We needed her washing machine. We still need it. I thought I got to make this call. I got to, I got to trade it. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? and like the entire team is actually upset that they traded away the washing machine yeah. <laughs> for the, for this ex NBA player. And even Ed Bonix is like, what am I talking about? Top of my game. I just got traded for a washing machine. And that's uh, one of our favorite scenes. Uh, if not, maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie where Ed Monix comes in and gets introduced. And yeah, like you said, they're all pretty upset that he's even there. He's actually taking over from uh, one of the, uh, the, the guards, BB Allen, I believe, or, or, the other i forget their names but uh, one of the 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 guards who got introduced at the beginning uh is uh, now going to be on mm-hmm. the bench because ed monix will be playing uh point guard and um point guard yeah exactly <laughs> and uh and uh there's a lot of animosity of course ed monix is a physical player so there's a lot of uh hatred to him uh, throughout the league and uh and twiggy who is uh is one of the teammates uh on there who's like uh, yeah how's your mom and sister doing it's been a while since i porked them let's not let's talk not talk about, about the porking of the moms and the sisters because we only have one rule on this team what is that rule twiggy ele that's right ele what does the ele stand for everybody, everybody love, love everybody. everybody everybody love everybody right there up on the wall has it got that, that monix nope Great. Great. I, I, I think I remember, did you have ELE written in your locker in high school? Didn't you have like a poster? I did. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I 
printed out <laughs> the ELE uh, from Semipro because it, you know, really spoke to me. I love that, and uh, put it on my uh, on my locker door along with some other uh, fun things that I had on there. I honestly can't couldn't tell you anything else that was on my locker other than maybe a couple of photos. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But uh, I I did. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But uh, and, and a tripod, of course. But uh, sure. uh, I did I did have uh, ELE in uh, big letters written there. Just you know, remind me every day. Everybody love everybody. Mm-hmm. He's got a ring that says love. But uh, this was kind of the part of the movie where uh, when Ed Monix comes onto the team, he starts to want to actually win and uh, do well, obviously, because the team does have to do well. That's part of the plot. And of course, Coffee Black wants to, you know, he's a great player, but he's definitely on the wrong team. He's very talented, but as Ed Monix says, he'll never make it to the NBA. So the split in the movie is when the team votes to... Uh, to basically uh, promote Monix up to head coach, and Jackie Moon does all of the promotions, mm-hmm. uh, which is another amazing part of this film. Are all of the sports promotions, which I'm a huge fan of that in real life too. I love when I love when stadiums. You, you I love checking out like just flyers and stuff that other stadiums around the U.S. and Canada do. Like uh, we see in the opening uh, crawl of the film, all of these old news articles, like Dime Beer Night turns ugly and. And free gerbil night being one of them. Uh, Will Ferrell's uh, Jackie Moon is always constantly trying to come up with wacky, weird promotions to get asses in seats. And we see a few of them. Uh, For some reason, he has this weird idea to put eyeliner on the players, which goes terribly. uh, Just to like make... Look into my eyes. Like they're a demon or something. And it goes terribly because the eyeliner smudges and they all basically go blind. But he's just trying... They're trying to look flashy for the cameras and stuff. There's... There's other ones too, like he uh, he has the whole team dress up in uh, like seahorse and sun costumes and does dance numbers with them for some weird reason. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's free corn dog night, which we see if the team uh, scores over 125 points, everybody in the stadium gets free corn dogs. Corn dogs, Jackie. Corn dogs for all these people. The stadium doesn't even sell corn dogs for some reason. Uh, there's Jackie's <laughs> wife rides a mechanical bull, which is funny. Uh, Jackie jumps over all of the ball girls who are lined up, kind of like a, an evil Knievel style thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackie Moon wrestles a bear is another one. And all of this is leading up to the the ultimate one at the end of the movie, which is the Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl. But it's it's really fun. I, I love that because a lot of these smaller, uh, these smaller sports teams and stadiums, they did and still do have to come up with these crazy yes. nights to, uh, to entice people to come in. And even right now, uh, it reminds me of like it still happens today. The Rogers Center, which is the uh, the stadium where the Blue Jays play near where Mike and I live. We just this year, they just incorporated the um, the dollar hot dog night, which is very cheap for a hot dog um, to, c- compared to other food at the Rogers Center. And I'm assuming that they're pretty small hot dogs, but it's already caused issues. Just a couple of weeks ago, a fan was thrown out because they bought a tray of hot dogs, which probably got them like. 50 bucks or something worth of hot dogs and they were throwing them like around the stadium at people <laughs> which is the problem with making like really cheap beer or really cheap food like people will buy a lot of it and cause havoc and it's it's sad when Love stuff it. like that happens because it's like it, this is why we can't have nice things but it's also like whenever these promotions come up like you can see it coming from a mile away <laughs> Well, no, we will be enjoying loony hot dogs this week when we go yep. to the Jays game. So uh, we we'll, we'll have to report back on that in the next episode. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, the promotions in this are fantastic. I I I, I love how they do all of them. And and honestly, they they like when you were saying it, like the, there's a lot there, but they actually work uh, really well uh, in terms of the movie. In terms of making this like a you know a funny movie and 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 honestly historically accurate like you were saying of what teams were trying to do to just get fans in the seats at this point mm-hmm. because yeah the the ABA was fledgling 
And I think of this with the Savannah Bananas, who is a um, uh, a team in uh, the minor leagues of the MLB, which is now actually basically like, like their own thing. They, um, they kind of branched off, and they're basically the Harlem, Harlem Globetrotters of the uh, minor league baseball uh, leagues, and they do some crazy stuff like that, too. They'll do big bat night, where like everyone has a big <laughs> bat that they're hitting with. Like I, I, I can see the influence from uh, uh, from, from Jackie Moon on uh, on these people, and honestly, just like the, the promoters at the time. So, like, the one thing about this movie is that while it's obviously fiction there's a lot of historical accuracy of like what was going on in the 70s like you were talking about the costumes the set designs are fantastic uh the way that the um the characters would definitely have have uh, held themselves the the fighting during commercial breaks was a great (laughs) one uh that's in the eyeliner bit when um when uh they they pause for commercials after having a little scuffle and uh just decide to uh somebody somebody hit somebody somebody. yeah (laughs) that's really good uh and the commentators get in on it too Uh, it's uh like like that is something that would happen is that these there were a lot a lot of fights in uh in the aba uh, at the time because it was a much more lawless uh too like there was um it was just people also realized that fights kind of get people in the stands right uh, as well so uh it was trying to strike that balance but yeah it's it's i just i love looking at these kind of semi-pro uh movies and leagues like this yeah and it, like that like you said that those fights did happen and like even these promotions like i talk to my dad all the time and he's like oh yeah there were there were nights at uh he worked at exhibition stadium and they would have very cheap beer nights and i don't think you see that as much anymore you might get like a dollar night which is crazy but we go down to see the buffalo bisons play every summer and last summer they had i, I think they do this multiple times a, a year or maybe once a week but for whatever reason the day that we went it was a saturday but they had $5 beer and $5 wow. US, but that's that's about half price Canadian, I would say. It's like not a small amount. It's not like a, you know, a dollar a beer, but still like you see people walking with three beers. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, this is uh this is where we're going with that. But yeah, and like a lot of the players, they uh they worked other they worked second jobs, which is a very yes. real thing in the minor leagues. They all worked at car washes and restaurants or they did nothing. There was of course they had a, a um an ethnic player on their team from a weird country called Lithuania who didn't speak English, <laughs> which is another very real thing. And like the team had no translator, so Vakaitis, you just straight up could not he couldn't understand them and they couldn't understand him throughout the entire film. And he never really learns how to talk English at all throughout the entire movie, which is funny. But no one getting paid exactly uh, is like a really real thing too, especially with these startup leagues. Did you get paid this week? No. no. And then there's a great, there's a great. Uh, I think it's a deleted scene, but uh, it's Jackie Moon and uh, and Dick Pepperfield on the set of their TV talk show. So everything's good. Things are just going wonderfully for me. Yeah. 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 Family's good. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Barbara. Uh, uh, it's Betty. <laughs> Betty. Yeah. The kids. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. We don't have a lot of money. You know. Right now we're stretching. Kind <laughs> Who of does? Well, <laughs> I'm hoping you do because I'm waiting for a check from you. You didn't get paid last week, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I'll work on it. Okay. That would be great. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Okay. We are back. Oh, we're live? Okay, we're back. Uh, which is a big standout for me in this film, which is the uh, the Dick Pepperfield TV set. Uh, very 70s yes. looking. It's the Tropics Weekly set. It's got the tinsel in the background, these big fake palm trees to the side. And you just see the cameras, the two cameras, like the old talk shows used to be. And the back and forth between the players, uh, or the back and forth between Jackie Moon and uh, Dick Pepperfield. I think that that is all completely ad-libbed, all of those scenes. Yep, I, I believe they are considering that in the deleted scenes and the outtakes. We have about twenty different versions of what uh, Jackie Moon says to uh, to Dick Pepperfield, and and there are a lot of instances in 
really all Will Ferrell movies that are ad-libbed and you see them when you uh, would see like these outtakes in the deleted scenes. We, uh, Neil and I were lucky enough to own a lot of these DVDs back in the day, like Talladega Nights, like yeah. Semi-Pro, <laughs> like Step Brothers, where you'd like just watch the outtakes of them. I think of Talladega Nights with him saying all the different commercials, uh, him and right. John C. Riley, uh, doing it. And those were just completely ad-libbed, you know, they're just going off of whatever. And I love that. Yeah. This movie is basically, I was watching it and almost every single scene is basically an SNL uh, skit for the most yep. part. There, some of them are not connected to the plot at all. Um, like there's a random <laughs> poker game that happens between uh, Jackie Moon and basically his friends with the the two announcers as well. Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows is in there as well. SNL alumni. Yep. Little uh, little cameo there from icon Tim Meadows. That scene doesn't accomplish anything with the film. It's very it's very nope. funny, but nothing gets done in that film. They're just basically playing poker, uh, just talking. Uh, a gun gets pulled out at one point. They're basically playing Russian roulette, not knowing that the gun has a bullet in it. It's a very funny scene, but it has nothing to do with anything. And that's basically what this movie is. It's, it's, it's an hour and a half with honestly not much plot. There's a montage at one point, which is basically the plot of the film. It's them getting better, moving up the ranks, and actually being considered to be move, moved yeah. into the NBA, which is only ever discussed in that meeting at the beginning that we talked about with all of the uh, the head coaches and the owners. And then this montage in the middle of the film, and then the end, the Flint, Michigan Bowl, everything else is just five to ten minutes of ad-libbing and, and SNL-style uh, skits with wacky stuff. You know, Jackie Moon wrestles a bear at one point, which was a real bear that I referenced at the, the start there. One of the cast members, Rocky the Bear. Fun fact about that bear is that he killed somebody about seven weeks after this movie <laughs> went, uh, went into theaters. <laughs> oh, so I geez. think that bear might be dead. He could be dead with the another SNL alumni, Kristen Wiig, as the handler. That's right. Yeah, she's in there too. There are a lot of uh, of cameos in this film, actually. There's uh, Patty LaBelle, who uh, plays Jackie's mom. When he's knocked out, he goes to heaven <laughs> to talk to her, where she uh, she shows him the alley-oop, which comes in handy later. Uh, we already mentioned Tim Meadows. Jason Sudeikis is in it as the nacho fan who has season's ticket. He's the only season's ticket holder for the Flint, Michigan Tropics, and he, he brings his own food to the game, and Jackie Moon like takes it out of his hand and drop kicks it. He's in there. Uh, he's another SNL actor. Kristen Wiig, who's the bear handler. Uh, Elia English as uh, Miss Quincy, Clarence's mother, who's very funny. She's great. Just, you know, big black woman, always yelling at him to do stuff. And uh, Ed Helms yep. from uh, Hangover and The Office. He uh, is Turtleneck, who uh, Jackie, he's one of the reporters <laughs> who's interviewing Jackie before the Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl. There are a few others in there too, mostly comedic actors, friends of the friends of the cast and crew. But yeah, I, I love stuff like that. In a lot of these comedies back in the day, a lot of these types of cameos, people just, it was a very, I want to use the word like incestuous um, system going on where yeah, yeah. everybody was in everything basically. I'm honestly surprised I was looking out for like, like a Vince Vaughn or a Steve Carell or some of these other actors being in it. But uh, no, these were the, these were the main characters that uh, popped up. Yeah. It was honestly crazy to me, like how many SNL people were in this mm -hmm. movie. I mean, most of them having cameos, but uh, like clearly there is that fraternity uh, there that definitely exists that these people all help each other out. They're all friends too. Yeah. The Jason Sudeikis one, I actually didn't know that was him until I watched it again um, this week. And as soon as I was like thinking of like, oh my God, I think this is Jason Sudeikis playing, yeah, the the Nacho fan, <laughs> uh, which is so funny. That's just another good historic thing of just like, yeah, there's always like the supporters. There's always the diehards who are out there every every night, no, no matter how bad the team is, no, how, no matter how bad the attendance is, they're there bringing their nachos <laughs> from home, uh, <laughs> ready to support. Did you bring those from home or did you buy them from the concession stand? I brought them from home. No, no. <laughs> then he pauses, you know, he gets called for, for traveling because he walks, for he walks off the court to go <laughs> kick the nachos out of his hand. It's such 
such a random throwaway. Again, another very random throwaway scene that did not need to be there. And Jason Sudeikis' character never shows up again in in the entire. No. <laughs> it's just that one scene. Even in the, uh, I thought he might have shown up there at the very end of the film in the uh, the Mega Bowl, but uh, they don't they don't reference him at all in uh, in that that scene. No, and I mean uh, to to go more on the actors too here. Uh, obviously, like there are some big actors like Woody Harrelson being a, a serious actor as well as comedic. I mean, I know him honestly from Cheers at first because my parents would watch Cheers a lot, and that was really his first role. So he was very very young in this. Obviously, older in uh, in this one. But uh, I gotta give a shout out to Andre Benjamin, Andre three thousand from Outcast. Uh, I believe this is probably his first like big budget acting role he did Idlewild with uh with big boy as well as their kind of like outcast movie so to speak that went along with the album um and he does a great job in this like you would never guess that he's not like an actor like he's that he's a musician first uh, when i watched this i i knew of outcast and i knew outcast outcast's music but i honestly wasn't sure what Andre Benjamin looked like so <laughs> it was cool to uh to 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 like make the realization soon after I'm like oh that's like the guy from Ocast like wow I'm not sure if he really ended up acting anymore after that like like uh obviously semi-pro didn't unfortunately didn't do well commercially or critically so maybe this kind of killed his career probably and he, he fit the style so well he had that 70s style oh, yeah. right away he he fit it honestly he looked like something out of the 70s like he looked like he belonged in the jackson five or something and it's funny because in the um in the behind the scenes when they had to go through the training camps and everything to uh to get the look of 70s basketball players um because that's another thing too is basketball being played looked very different in the 70s in the ABA compared to like NBA players now like they could not have just hired NBA players um, to do this film which is what a lot of the times what is what happens in basketball movies is that you get real basketball players like that new uh, Adam Sandler movie The Hustle that came out a year or two ago that they they got a bunch of uh, real basketball players actually a couple Toronto basketball players too uh, to play in that Mm -hmm. movie you couldn't have done that in this one uh, because you needed to have basically actors pretending to be actors from the 70s and he was told right away that his style of basketball already looked like someone from the 70s so he didn't actually have to do all that tr- much training to uh to look the part and he did right away and I, I honestly i think his his recurring joke throughout the film was the funniest of just constantly changing his name like the ca- the player formerly known as formerly known as and he changes it again <laughs> before the third act of the movie which is really funny yeah he was really good and he's that. a really good he's supposed to be like the um the gold star the mvp of the team and his mom is very funny too she's like this sassy woman who owns the diner that he works at as well to telling him that he's late for his basketball games and stuff which is which is really good one thing that i do want to talk about though uh is the music in this movie uh we talk a lot about music in in video games we haven't done it all that much in uh in movies yet and the soundtrack for this film love me sexy as well obviously being the standout there are a lot of great songs in this film uh get the funk out of my face by the brothers johnson you've got why can't we be friends by war there's uh there's so many more there's shining star of course by uh elijah kelly just a lot of great 70s classics that um that just help move the or help help make you believe that this film is something out of the 70s it's a fantastic soundtrack, and I knew I always loved all the songs off the soundtrack before. But it, it was funny to listen to it again uh, this week. I just had it on um, on Spotify playing as I was working. I was like, "Yeah, like this is just like a really objectively good 
playlist. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I love it. It's it's a great yeah like like intro to R and B funk in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, all these all these songs are classic, including "Love Me Sexy," of course, which is uh, a classic seventies staple. Please, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, like like I I learned about a lot of these songs though from Semi Pro. Like when I was thinking back, I'm like, yeah, I I never heard Brother Johnson with uh, "Get the Funk Out of My Face." Love that song. I mean, even like things like "War," Ronnie Laws being in there, "Sly and the Family Stone," having a couple songs, Curtis. Mayfield like I, I I didn't know these um artists and bands beforehand and I honestly kind of got into this kind of music more because of semi-pro mm-hmm. so I gotta give semi-pro a shout out for uh just like how a lot of these soundtracks on these video games we've talked about got me into certain kind of music back then like this got me into funk and r&b and soul music um uh because of this yeah and uh you, you, I mean you got me the Brothers Johnson album with get the funk mm-hmm. out of my face uh for so I forget what it was, it was my birthday or something, but you got me that album because of this film. And even uh, the Love Me Sexy song, it's basically a real 70s song. It was produced by Niall Rogers, who is a composer and he's an actor as well. But he also does a lot of uh, production on uh, he grew up in the 70s, but he worked a lot in the um, basically 70s, 80s and 90s doing lots of production for uh, for film, uh, music and uh, TV shows as well. And basically what happened was they um, they had the script or the lyrics for, for the song, which I think Will Ferrell came up with uh, among other writers. And they basically just sent Will Ferrell kind of uh, improvising the song and they sent him that recording and then he constructed the song around that, the trumpets in the intro and the, the backup uh, singers and I guess dancers as well. All of it was all produced by a real 70s, 80s and 90s music producer, which is why it sounds so well produced um honestly and there's even a music video for it as well which is basically just cuts from the film which was a little bit disappointing i kind of would have preferred if they had made like a real 70s style kind of earth wind and fire bgs kind of um kind of funk disco style uh, mm-hmm. of music video like with that real kind of grainy looking uh footage and like have a full band and, and the backup dancers and everything and then maybe splice in some cuts from the film but unfortunately it's mostly just uh, b-roll from the movie which was uh, feels like a bit of a miss but honestly yeah. this movie is such a complete package it's a perfect length for a comedy 90 minutes and there's tons of deleted scenes and uh did you know facts about the aba that uh it's, it's hard to think of much more you could do it's true. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, of course, we we do have the ending of the movie, Neil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl, which is um, uh, Jackie Moon's answer to Monix basically tra- telling him that, hey, it's not over. Like, even though we're not going to the NBA, even though it, it doesn't look like uh, it's going to be a happy ending, you still have one more game to promote. And uh, Monix has honestly a really... Uh, really great speech, uh, very uh, uh, a very hyped up speech for sure. Very inspiring to to tell everyone that you know what I've never wanted anything more uh, than to win this fourth place. I've never really won anything in my life. Like I, uh, it's always been our goal to be in the fourth place team in this league. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's win this game tonight against the Spurs, who were the number one team in the league, as Turtleneck Ed Helms uh, uh, reminds Jackie Moon, mm-hmm. and. They pull off this uh, this this crazy upset, and it's all thanks to uh, the alley oop, Neil. So we kind of mm. get a little bit of a basketball lore here of uh, this created history of how the alley oop was actually uh, created, and it was created because of Jackie Moon getting knocked out and seeing his mom in a dream, who tells him how exactly to do the alley oop. He does it to the tune of Beethoven's Fifth, mm-hmm. the disco, the funky version. Yeah. So good. Oh, it's it's a great song to pick for that scene. 
And that was a whole thing that that was probably the biggest of all those songs from that era. But that was a big thing was taking this classical music and putting it towards like a disco funk beat. Mm-hmm. And there were tons and tons of songs that did this. There were even the Star Wars uh, soundtrack that that got uh, that disco funk style that uh, is so, so good. I love listening to that every every once in a while. Uh, but um, yeah, I, uh, I I love hearing uh, that. Walter Murphy, I think, uh, did that. Uh, the the Beethoven's Fifth, but uh, and who end up doing actually the Family Guy soundtracks? Funny oh. enough, so uh, yeah, funny um, little little connection there. But uh, yeah, it was um, it was cool to see that and see that little alley montage done, and no one understands what just happened. No, they get completely they're completely dumbfounded because we get to see a new rule or a new move in basketball be invented, uh, which happened a lot uh, when when basketball was coming up, especially in these smaller leagues. Like a lot of these rules yeah. and uh, and certain things were tried and eventually made their way up to the NBA. That, that's the thing that a lot of people don't know about these minor leagues is that a lot of new rules and everything are tested first and then they're brought up later. Um, yep. But that, that alley-oop move is how they eventually uh, uh, they shorten the gap and make the game a two-point game by all of these different alley-oops, which uh, Dick Pepperfield doesn't know what to call it at first. He's just saying, like, the ball has been passed in an upward-downward trajectory, which has been diverted into the net. And then, you know, someone brings him a piece of paper. I'm being told it's actually called an alley-oop. Yes, that's easier to say. Uh, And then they continue on. And uh, the game is won uh, by Jackie Moon uh, from the free throw line. Uh, He throws a granny style, which uh, (laughs) is really funny. And Monix had never seen it before. Just let him do his thing. He's got his granny style. He's he's got it. Yeah, he gets the first basket in, but misses the second one. But uh, Monix gets the rebound and uh, scores the winning point. Uh, and they win the uh, the Flint Michigan Mega Bowl, which, uh, as Jackie Moon says, kids uh, in the future will talk about three things: the discovery of fire, uh, the invention of uh, the submarine, and the Flint Michigan Mega Bowl. In uh, in those three <laughs> things, and I love, I love, love, love. The movie ends not long after the uh, the Flint Michigan Mega Bowl uh, ends, which I like that. There's not like they don't wrap things up uh, officially in uh, the Let's Get Sweaty edition anyway. There is a deleted scene, which we'll talk about in a second. But I love that the um they win fourth place and the entire city riots. As if they won the whole cup, like they spray paint like fourth place on buildings and cops are flipping cop cars and everything. That that scene is very good. It's so good. It's it's a great way to end it, ending it on uh, Move On Up, Curtis Mayfield, a great song uh, to end that on too. And then mm-hmm. we do hear Shining Star coming on uh, right after we uh, we the credits start rolling. And we see Dukes, who is the... Uh, Dukes. The, the especially Dirty Hippie, as the Dick Pepperfield calls him, <laughs> who hit the impossible shot uh, from the other end of the court to sink a basket that got him a check that said $10,000 on it. Uh, of course, Jackie Moon made that up because... Uh, he just used the beer company as a sponsor, uh, so it sounds professional. Bavaria, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Uh, just another small, small league thing, right? Just like creating this sponsor, uh, even though it doesn't exist, and and not assuming that no one's ever going to get the ten thousand right. dollars. Of course, Dukes does. Jackie Moon doesn't pay him. There's a recurring joke throughout the movie where Dukes is trying to get the money, and he's like, "No, oh, you got to go to a, a, a big check from a big bank." Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're going to too small of a bank. You need to go to a bigger bank. Oh, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a funny little reoccurring thing going on there, too. Yeah, and he does eventually get the at least some of the money from uh, from Jackie Moon uh, paid out from his merger buyout money uh, at the uh, the very kind of mid-credit uh, scene. And uh, and that's the movie. And then the credits keep rolling and and we're done. And, uh, and honestly, ever since Semi-Pro, we've actually had a lot 
of Flint Tropic stuff in pop culture, which I've really enjoyed. Uh, I know we, we've talked about it a little bit uh, before, but but uh, J- uh, Will Ferrell reprising his role as Jackie Moon many times in basketball mm-hmm. um, as a basketball announcer, uh, playing preseason games. Uh, uh, you see uh, the Halloween uh, Flint Tropics stuff all the time. There are minor league teams that dress in Flint Tropics for these kind of promotional nights. Like it's it's kind of become a the, the Flint Tropics brand has actually grown much more than Semi Pro the movie. Yeah, I, I don't see these jerseys at all, honestly. I'd love to own one someday. I think that would be really funny. It kind of reminds me of um, like the uh, the Dan Marino, uh, Ray Finkel from uh, Ace Ventura. Yeah. Kind of that, that look, honestly. Like when I see Finkel on the back of a jersey, I instantly think Ace Ventura. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not quite as popular as like the... Um, the uh, the Toon Squad from uh, Space Jam, which is another yes. great basketball film. That would probably be the most popular spoof basketball jersey, I would say, that you would see. But yeah, you do occasionally see the Flint Tropics uh, logo from time to time. And it's a great logo designed specifically just for this film. Very 70s, very bright and colorful. Um, it's great. And one of the deleted scenes that I really liked, and I, I, you see, I think it might be in the theatrical version because a lot of these deleted scenes that I uh, was watching today, I recognize them and I think it is. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a really cool um, kind of where are they now thing happening where it explains uh, Jackie Moon. Uh, he went on to write the song, basically the Gary Glitter song, Rock and Roll, <laughs> which is played in all of those stadiums around the world. It goes like, hey, like they basically rip it off as if uh, Jackie Moon wrote it. So that's kind of where he's at. Uh, Ed Monix becomes a coach. Coffee Black makes it to the NBA. Uh, Jackie Moon's wife basically takes on the um, the ownership of the Kremlin bar and then starts it off or uh, franchises it and becomes the owner of Hooters. Yep. And uh, she's basically the most successful out of any of them, which I found that really funny too, because she's barely in the film and she's more of like an object than an actual character throughout the entire thing. And uh, and and last but not least, uh, Dick Pepperfield uh, discovers women and uh, be- gets murdered by his wife. And uh, that's how his uh, line- life ends, unfortunately. And uh, <sighs> they do mention Duke, the, uh, the, the dirty hippie who wins $10,000. He does eventually get the money from Jackie Moon because Jackie gets the buyout money and gives it to him. But he's later arrested for uh, $10,000 worth of uh, marijuana in his possession. <laughs> so that's the end of his circle as well. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically the movie from start to finish. It's a satirical comedy about the uh, 1970s ABA Basketball League. And it's lovely, and I love it. I love watching it back. It's it's such a time. Uh, thinking about all the quotes too while I'm watching it. Uh, honestly, everything about this movie makes me smile. I used to sometimes, you know, if I wanted to get pumped up, pumped up, I'd listen to to Monix, um, uh, say his <laughs> speech there about winning fourth place. I had this movie, probably one of the first, if not only, movie I ever had on my iPod Nano. Neil, yes, nice. you could play movies on your iPad, iPod Nano. It was actually kind of tough to get them on there. Uh, when you didn't buy them through the uh, iTunes store, but I, I got some kind of ripped copy on there that uh, <laughs> that had some watermark on it for the entire time. And I watched that movie uh, all the time. Uh, and I've maybe seen Semi-Pro more than any other movie. I was trying to think of this the other day. It's wow. It's probably close, but I've, I've seen this movie a lot. And I haven't seen it for a while. Probably haven't seen it for about three or four years at least. So it was nice to watch it again this week and rekindle these memories. Oh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a while for me too. I never had it on my iPod Nano. I just had the uh, the DVD, which I have right here, to read the back of the case in a in a few minutes. But yeah, we I like I said before, we watched this movie a whole bunch in high school. Quoted it all the time. It's definitely up there uh, in my uh, my top five Will Ferrell films of all time. And I I did want to ask you that before we close out the episode. I wanted to ask you your top five favorite Will Ferrell movies of all time. I can start off with my list here. It's a pretty easy one, honestly. 
Uh, I had to look through it. I'm probably going to forget uh, one or two and have to make an honorable mentions list. But uh, in ascending order from number five uh, to number one, number five is The Other Guys. I love that movie. It's it. I wasn't expecting anything from it, and it ended up exceeding my expectations greatly. Yep. So The Other Guys, number five. Semi-Pro at number four. As oh. much as I love it, there are better. Uh, I, I do like other Will Ferrell movies more than this one. Uh, some are just more quotable and more memorable for me, but not taking anything from it. All these movies could probably switch depending on the day. Uh, number three is Anchorman. The, the It's just obviously like the one that most people talk about with Will Ferrell and all of his SNL crew and Paul Rudd is in there as well. Uh, really good movie. Love Anchorman. Will Ferrell in these 1970s and 80s style films are really good. He has that he kind of ageless. Yeah, he has that kind of timeless look to him where he works in that era. Just looks a little bit strange when I see him like in a suit in yeah. some of these more current movies. Number two, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. That that movie is really good. NASCAR, uh, great film with him and John C. Riley and several other great actors as well. Um, really good stuff. And number one has to be Step Brothers. That movie, every single scene, every single line is still drop dead hilarious. I think all of my friends watched that movie in high school. My entire family loved it. My brother, my sister, all of my cousins. Every house that we went to had a copy of Step Brothers on the shelf, and everybody knew every line from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it has to be number one, Step Brothers, as my favorite Will Ferrell movie of all time. But what about you, Mike? What are your uh, five go-to Will Ferrell films? Hmm. You know, this was tough, Neil. I had to really think about this for a while. Uh, I went back and forth. I I think I got my final five. Did you go here. up and down, too? I went up and down, back and forth, up and down. You know, I went all mm-hmm. the way. I called Monix. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I asked him, he said, uh, uh, he said F off. So I was like, okay, well, uh, okay, well, that's fair. He's, he's, he's living with his, his wife and, uh, his wife's husband. Uh, hard to say. His, his Kyle. His Kyle. That's right. <laughs> um, a number five for me is Elf. I love Elf. Uh, one of my favorite uh, movies for sure. Favorite Christmas movie. Uh, Will Ferrell is absolutely fantastic in that. Uh, number four would be Anchorman. Like you said, great movie. Not Anchorman 2. That's honestly one of the worst movies I think I've seen in theaters. So uh, I, oh, I, in I, theaters. I, yes, I saw that in theaters. That was a bad oh, I'm idea. sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah. too. <laughs> uh, number three was The Other Guys. Uh, I love The Other Guys. Another super quotable movie that honestly it's just has aged really well and gets better every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two being semi-pro because we're doing this episode on this podcast. Of course, I love it to death. One of my favorite movies. And number one, Step Brothers, like you said, it's a classic. It's quotable. It's amazingly acted. It's It's got so many funny bits in it. So many great characters in it, too. I love Adam Scott's character uh, <laughs> in, yeah. uh, in the, that movie. And uh, yeah, Step Brothers is one that I could go back to time and time again. But yeah, that's uh, that's my top five. That's a great list. The only difference between your yours and mine is uh, I have uh, you have Elf on there, and uh, I have Talladega Nights. I thought you were a bigger fan of Talladega Nights, but uh, I'm sure on a you know number probably six. an honorable mention number for you. Six. Yeah, yeah, easy number six. That's fine. I can understand that. Uh, yeah, Anchorman two. I saw that one on DVD at home at one point, and I don't remember a single thing about it. I remember it just being way too long. Comedies should never be more than 95 minutes, in my opinion. Yep. Um, they just overstay their welcome at that point. And Anchorman 2 is two hours. Um, so a bit too long for my liking. But, Mike, I think that it's time that we hit the back of the case of Semi-Pro, and then we will move on to our closing thoughts. What do you think? Let's do it, Neil. All right. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading The Back of the Case.
The laughs go into overtime with this unrated edition of the most outrageous basketball story in semi-true history, starring Will Ferrell, Woody Harrelson, and Andre Benjamin. It's 1976, and the only thing sexier than Jackie Moon is his incredible career, the owner, head coach, and star player of the Flint Comics, not to mention the smooth vocals behind the hit single, Lovely Sexy, is at the top of his game. But when it appears the Tropics might not survive an NBA merger, Jackie vows to turn up the heat and lead his team to glory in the most hysterical comedy ever to put the funk back in the dunk. <laughs> funk in the That's dunk. Wow. Funk back in the dunk. That does remind me, though. Uh, I watched a bunch of the trailers that are on the uh, DVD as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might be saying it wrong because in the trailer, they call it semi-pro. Oh. Which I don't agree with that. <laughs> no, and I've never heard anyone call it semi-pro. No, me neither. But I was watching, like, in the trailer, it's like, it's like, what, you know, the voice, semi-pro. It's like. No, that sounds no, that's so like, weird. It broke my brain to hear it. It Sem- was crazy. Yeah. Semi-pro. Yeah, it just runs off the tongue so much easier. I never heard it said before until then. So maybe it's one of those situations like Mario Mario. We've been saying it wrong for 15 years, but you're not going to change me now. Um, (laughs) Mike, there are a lot of basketball games out there, and I didn't really know how to close out this episode because obviously we highly recommend this film based on our Will Ferrell ranking list and all of the laughs and praise that we've given this movie in the last hour and change. Uh, But I did want to ask you about uh, basketball films in general. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, other great basketball movies out there. Where does Semi-Pro rank amongst your your favorite basketball films? Or do you have any other basketball movies that you go to? Good good question. I mean, White Man Can't Jump is honestly one of my favorite basketball or sports movies ever uh, with Woody Harrelson. I was going to say. Uh, of course, yeah. yeah, who reprises his role. <laughs> no. um, uh, it, it's White Man Can't Jump is one of those movies that you don't expect to be that good and you leave it being like, wow, this was incredible. It is a, a, a fantastic movie. I recommend anyone watch it because it's not it's not what you think it is. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. It's, uh, it's, it's a movie that definitely subverts expectations. And I think just had its... 30th anniversary uh, last year, which is very crazy to think of, uh, with with uh, Wesley Snipes as well. Uh, in that, uh, Coach Carter, of course, is a big movie uh, for us growing up. Uh, saw that in theaters actually. I remember seeing that, and uh, Coach Carter uh, he ended up coaching the the Toronto Raptors too. So uh, we definitely mm-hmm. had a bit of a, a connection uh, there to see that. That's a fantastic movie too. Just a good sports movie in general i mean there's there's been lots of basketball movies over the years uh you could i mean you could technically count uncut gems as a basketball movie uh which is a really really good movie starring uh uh, adam sandler and and of course kevin garnett playing a a real basketball player playing himself Mm -hmm. basically the thing (laughs) is with a lot of these is that it's not really comedic like there's not really any basketball comedies Necessarily, if, unless you want to count something like basketball, which um, Matt Stone and Trey Parker refuse to talk about because they they hate that movie so much. <laughs> um, but Semi Pro is one of the, the the only ones I can think of as a really really funny basketball movie, at least for me. Yeah, the only other movies that I could think of, you mentioned it already with uh, White Men Can't Jump and uh, Coach Carter, which I've only seen that movie once. I need to rewatch it because I, well, I watched Coach Carter in grade 10 for careers class for some reason. Okay. Uh, I don't know if every high school in the world has this, but uh, in our school, we had this really useless semester of 
Uh, half of it was careers, where you'd basically just take these surveys to find out what you want to do for a living. And then the other half was civics, where they try and teach you about politics, which didn't teach anybody about politics. Uh, very much a waste of time class where we mostly, I think, played Halo on the computers. Yes. Um, but anyway, one of the things that we did was watch, uh, I remember watching Coach Carter in Careers, and then in Civics we watched uh, the uh, the Semi-pro. Woody Harrelson. <laughs> well, yeah, semi We watched the Woody Harrelson, not Woody Harrelson, um, Woody Allen movie, uh, Ants. Ah, what the? Yeah. I don't know why. What? Again, I think it had to do with politics and a monarchy. I, I, don't, I really don't, dude. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, where I was going with that was uh, other basketball movies. I mean, Space Jam is a classic basketball film. Very fake, obviously, basketball movie. But what? still, really, <laughs> it is not historically accurate, unfortunately. And Space Jam 2, not as good as the first, obviously. But uh, uh, Air Bud is a really fun basketball movie that I loved as a kid. Again, very not accurate, unfortunately. Air Bud, not a real basketball player. And the last one, you mentioned Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler, but his last movie that he did, The Hustle, uh, is really good. Mm. That's where he's like a scout for the, um, I think he's the 76ers. That, that's a really good movie too. Uh, I really like that one. That's about all. I watched mainly baseball movies and football movies when I was a kid. Not a lot of basketball movies in the Gilbert household since my dad is not a huge basketball fan, so we didn't go to many Raptors games. We didn't watch a lot of these movies. We watched when the Raptors won the, the finals in 2019, but basketball just wasn't really a huge part of uh, of our family. My brother, who uh, doesn't know about the Barbie movie, played basketball. <laughs> um, but that's, that's about it, unfortunately. So not a huge touchstone for me in the pop culture universe, but... Uh, Anyways, it's funny when you talk about Space Jam, actually saying like, I know it's a joke you're saying it's not real, but like there's there's I just remember that uh, it's kind of like semi pro in the sense that they took a historical thing and actually kind of just to, like, you know, made it fictionalized and, and added a whole bunch of stuff to it, which is Michael Jordan leaving the NBA and becoming a baseball player. And then going back to the NBA. Yeah. Like I kind of forgot about yeah. that, but, but like that, yeah, that was obviously a huge thing. And so mm-hmm. semi-pro kind of did this, a similar thing where they, they take a historical event, which is uh, the ABA existing and then merging with the NBA and putting a spin on it. I, I honestly love this, like, I don't know what you want to call it, fake history. Alternate, like alternate history, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and using it as comedy. I think a lot more stuff should do this. Um, oh my gosh. They do this a little bit with um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is actually kind okay. of a, a good take on that, of this idea of like the Manson murders and everything and, and putting their own, putting his own, hmm. uh, I guess, creative license. That's kind of the word I'm looking for. Putting his own creative license towards it, which is what Semi Pro does as well. If you want to compare those movies, I'm sure we'll get <laughs> some comments of people being like, what? How are you doing this? But uh, <laughs> that's probably it for this movie. I would love to watch it uh, again uh, very soon. You and I should watch it again soon and uh, and relive the uh, we should. Uh, the quotes and we'll watch the Let's Get Sweaty edition. We'll watch the Let's Get Sweaty edition on your iPod Nano, Mike. That sounds like a date. But while I'm sitting here waiting to watch, uh, if you still have that iPod Nano, while I'm still waiting to watch Semi Pro with you on a one by one inch screen with our (laughs) sharing our little earbuds that barely work, you know, you got to twist the jack just right to get the sound quality perfect. Why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 29 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast? On episode 29, we are talking about the Super Mario World game, the classic classic game super mario world of course first appearing on the snes uh 32 years ago 
I think Neil, this is just crazy how old this game yep. is. And um, and for me, I first played it and really only played it on the Game Boy Advance. And uh, and as we have talked many times, the Game Boy Advance was basically a handheld SNES, so it was perfect for me. Learned about it that way. Played it maybe more than any other game ever. I've been playing it this week on the Nintendo Switch Online service. Uh, I played both the Game Boy Advance one and the SNES version, which was interesting. Small differences, and we'll go about. Uh, we'll talk about that in the episode coming up. But yeah, we're gonna have some great guests on. Uh, we'll share so many memories. It's gonna be a great time, Neil. Oh, I'm so excited, dude! Uh, Super Mario World is my second favorite game of all time. As I've talked a ton about on this podcast, up until Breath of the Wild, it was my favorite game of all time. I have such fond memories of playing that game with my uh, with my siblings as kids. We played it on a very very old TV. We played it on a TV that basically you had to turn the color on on it. That's how old this TV was. Um, <laughs> so I love this the the music, the graphics, the game itself, all the secrets, all of the. All of the multiplayer and all of the uh, the beautiful all the beautiful worlds in the game. It's going to be so much fun to talk about it. And of course, we have all these different versions and way to play it now. So it's uh, it's going to be great to talk about that with you. Can't wait to meet again next week. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode twenty eight of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New shows every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. And if you're a Spotify listener, please keep writing in with the new Q and A feature. We love reading your comments so far. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Thank you so much to everybody over there. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Edmonics, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Everybody love everybody. Come on. It's right up there on the wall. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. Our podcast is fan-funded by our listeners on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. The show is produced, hosted, and edited by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. AJ Olson 11, Bogus Lotus, Cube Dude, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Sparks Fly 027, and Way Overrated. I got a ring that says love. I want a ring that says love. I do too. That'd be I, nice. I'll, I'll find one for you. I'll, I'd rather just not go on 11-hour bus rides to, <laughs> to different cities, though, to play. That's that's fine with me. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would suck. Because they didn't have Switches back then. Ah, oh, true. They didn't. Damn it. No. Oh, man. <laughs> too bad. Too bad.